You're listening to a podcast by Lance Lambert Ministries. For more information on this ministry, visit lancelambert.org and follow us on Telegram to receive all of our updates. In this episode, Lance teaches about Christians' tears and glory. He reads from Revelation 21:4, which says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Let's listen. Would you turn with me to the book of Revelation in chapter 21, the 21st chapter of the book of Revelation, from verse 1. Revelation chapter 21, commencing at verse 1. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth are passed away, and the sea is no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he shall dwell with them, and they shall be his peoples, and God himself shall be with them, and be their God, and he shall wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more. The first things are passed away. And he that sitteth on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he saith, Write, for these words are faithful and true. And he said unto me, They are come to pass. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. Revelation chapter 7, the seventh chapter of Revelation. Verse 15 is talking about the great number that come out of the, out of great tribulation. Therefore are they before the throne of God, and they serve him day and night in his temple. And he that sitteth on the throne shall spread his tabernacle over them. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. Neither shall the sun strike upon them, nor any heat. For the Lamb that is in the midst of the throne shall be their shepherd, and shall guide them unto fountains of waters of life. And God shall wipe away every tear from their eyes. And then in the Old Testament in Isaiah and chapter 25, Isaiah chapter 25, verse 8, He that is the Lord hath swallowed up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from off all faces, and the reproach of his people will he take away from off all the earth, for the Lord hath spoken it. Isaiah 35, 35th chapter of Isaiah, and verse 10. And the ransom to the Lord shall return and come with singing unto Zion, and everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. 
they shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. I have rather an unusual kind of word this morning. I suppose one could entitle it Tears in Glory. Tears in Glory. Must seem very strange to some people that the Bible speaks about people crying when finally everything is over and God has fulfilled his purpose. Strange, perhaps, that God has to wipe away tears from off all faces. This isn't just one verse in one place. It is almost a theme that runs through so many of the prophecies that there will come a day when all those tears shall be wiped away. The interesting thing is that it says that and the Lord will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Speaking of that glorious time of fulfillment when the marriage supper of the Lamb has come and when the bride has made herself ready, when finally joined to the Lord, we have this last great vision of this city of God coming down out of heaven, having the glory of God, we're told, and the Lord and God himself shall wipe away every tear from their eyes. Tears in glory. And I've been thinking a little to myself, what really are those tears? What do they represent? And it seems to me, and I would be very, very interested, if anyone, as you pray about it, if I provoke you to meditation, reflection, more thought, anyone has any further light or anything further to add, I would love to hear from you, love you to come and tell me. But it seems to me, as far as I can see, that there are three realms in which God wipes away tears from off all faces. And the first is really simply this one, that it speaks of the trial and tribulation that the children of God have gone through in order, finally, to be brought to the place of fulfillment place where the Lord's purpose has been fulfilled. It speaks in Philippians chapter 3 of something so wonderful. Here, Philippians chapter 3, passage some of us might know quite well. And verse 14, I press on toward the goal unto the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, the high calling of God, the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. What is the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus? It is a most remarkable passage, this Philippian passage. 
There are, of course, in the letters of the Apostle Paul, many remarkable passages. Passages that are as are still unfathomed because of the depths of spiritual revelation that is that they contain. But of this passage to me, this passage in Philippians 3, is perhaps the most remarkable thing that the apostle ever wrote because he opens his heart to us. And for a moment, we see what was the key to his life and ministry and what was the dynamic of his spiritual career. And we find to our amazement that he speaks about counting things lost that he may gain Christ, may win Christ. Now, dear friends, that just does not sound like reformed doctrine. We don't win Christ. Christ is God's unspeakable gift to us, the gift of God's grace. How then does he speak about that I may gain Christ, that I may win Christ? How does he speak about that I may attain unto the resurrection from the dead? Literally, that I may attain unto the out-resurrection from among the dead. Everyone's going to be raised. Even those who are unsaved are going to stand before God in their bodies, before the great white throne. And certainly every believer is going to be raised. So why does he speak about attaining unto the resurrection from the dead? As if it's a, a special re resurrection. Why does Hebrews 11 speak about certain ones who bore torture and did not accept their deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection? What does it all mean? It seems to me that it's summed up in this word, I press on toward the goal unto the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. In the verse before, the apostle says that I may lay hold on that for which I was laid hold on by Christ Jesus. And then he says, not that I have already laid hold or am already perfect, but I press on forgetting the things which are behind, stretching forward to the things which are before. I press on toward the goal, to the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. In other words, it seems quite clear to me that this is not just the matter of salvation, but it is the end of our salvation. It is the purpose of our salvation. In other words, dear ones, there is something more than even our so great salvation. Our salvation is the means by which God has put, a, put us back into his purpose. It is the means by which God has brought us back into his original plan and design for mankind. But now we are back by his grace alone and through the finished work of the Lamb and by the outpoured Holy Spirit, we are to come to the fulfillment of God's objective, the objective of our salvation. Now I just wonder how many of us are really moving on to that objective or whether for us the Christian life is just a matter of hymns, a matter of prayer, a matter of assembling together, a matter of witnessing if we're very keen. 
If it is really just a matter, really, well, yes, there's salvation. Some would say there's something more than salvation. There's a second blessing. That's the end of the Lord. Others would say, no, 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 there's something more than even a second blessing. There is the baptism of the Spirit. That's the end of the Lord. There are a multitude of things that we have said are the end of the Lord. But the end of the Lord is really more than all that. All these things, whether it is to enter into what it is to be crucified with Christ, and live in the power of his resurrection, or whether it is to know the anointing of the Holy Spirit and the gifting of the Holy Spirit, whatever it is, all these things are means to an end. What then is the end? The high, the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. A prize is something you win. And it seems to me that it is summed up in this, we are given Christ as Savior, but we win him as bridegroom. By the grace of God, alone, by the appropriation of all that God has provided through his grace, we come finally to the place where we're joined to him forever as his bride. And that's how the Bible ends. And it is a most remarkable end, isn't it? We have on the one side this picture of the bride, which is a symbol of intimate union and communion. The sweetest, dearest symbol in the Bible. Something so close to the heart. Something so intimate. Something to do with union. Something to do with communion. And the Bible ends with that company of the redeemed who have been brought by the grace of God, who have overcome by his grace to the place where they're married to God's Christ, where they become the wife of the Lamb and the bride of Christ. That's one side of the coin. The other side of the coin is that this wife of the Lamb, this bride of Christ, is called a city. She is called the New Jerusalem. She is called the city of God. And we find that a city is symbolic of government. It is a center of administration. It is a center, a, the seat of government for a whole area. A capital city is the seat of national government. It's where the government of the whole nation, of the whole territory that belongs to that nation is centered supremely. And so we have a city. And that's the last word in the Bible. Not he shall reign forever and ever. That is the most blessed and wonderful truth. But in Revelation 22 and verse 6, I think it is, says, and they shall reign forever and ever. It says, and the throne of the Lord God, the Almighty, and of the Lamb are there, and his servants shall serve him, and they shall see his face, and they shall reign Forever and ever, the Lamb and those that have been joined to him, they shall reign forever and ever. Now, my dear friend, if that is the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, by the grace of God, I want to obtain it. That's what the Apostle Paul saw. It revolutionized his life. It became the dynamic of his ministry, of his service. He said, I count all things but loss, that I may know him. 
And some of the things he counted loss, others would count loss as well. His pedigree, his background, all that he inherited, his religious tradition, all that. But my friends, if some would count that as loss, I wonder what they would make of the next one. Yea, and I count all things to be loss for the excellency of Christ Jesus, my Lord, that I may gain him. What does it mean? If it does not mean that in some way he has seen something that causes everything else to pale into insignificance. He has been apprehended by the Lord. And as he's seen the Lord, it has changed his whole life. It has become, as it were, the key to everything. Now, dear ones, that city, that bride that we have at the end of the Bible is made, is produced out of only three materials. You will find them in Revelation 21 from verse 18 to 21. I will not read those verses because of time. But you will find three materials, gold refined as uh, glass. Now you have never seen gold transparent as glass. I don't care who you are and how much gold you may have seen. I remember the occasion when I went down in Fort Knox and saw two-thirds of the free world's gold. My word, what a day it was. Of course, we were behind bars. Um, you were in a little cage, and so was the gold all in cages. And we saw all over the place all the different nations' gold in bricks, just bricks of gold. My goodness, it was an experience. To think of all that gold... There wasn't a bit of it that was transparent as glass. I do believe that if I saw some gold as transparent as glass, I wouldn't believe it was gold. This must speak of gold that has been refined so incredibly that you can see right through it. It has been refined as no natural physical gold has ever been refined. Now, dear ones, that's one of the materials out of which the city is made. There is no other material, only gold. The street, the one street, not streets, the one street of the city is gold. The whole city is gold. And then there are foundations of, those, of the city, and those foundations are precious stone. And that precious stone is something else that always speaks of some kind of trial and pressure. And then there is pearl. Three materials out of which that city, that bride, has been produced and created. Gold, precious stone, pearl. Each one of those materials speaking of the Lord Jesus. Each one speaking of one aspect of his nature and life. Now, my dear one, that represents tears. An old divine once said, all God's jewels are crystallized tears. In other words, no one is going to tell me that the discipline of the Lord will not at time produce quite a lot of pain in a person's life. No one is going to tell me that tribulation is just an easy joy ride that to be brought into the school of God's discipline, of Christ's discipline, is something that is easy. 
Now, dear ones, I'm not saying that we should all get heavy and gloomy and dark, as sometimes people think as soon as you speak on a subject like this. I'm just saying that there is another side to the whole matter of worshipping the Lord. We may have joy, there may be laughter, there may be much that is just light in the Lord, and rightly so. But the other side of it is this, that if you and I are going to be glorified with Christ, we've got to suffer with him. The word says, if we suffer with him, we shall also be glorified with him. There is an if in this matter. Are we prepared for that suffering that must come the way of anyone who would buy of Christ gold refined in the fire? Why do you think our Lord said to the church at Laodicea, I counsel thee to buy of me gold refined in the fire? Dear friend, what a tragedy it would be if our lives had just been a matter of singing joyful choruses and hymns and just somehow being carried along by the impetus of the whole church. And then at the end of it, we found that somehow or other the deep work of the Lord in us had not in fact been done. And there was not that gold out of which the city is produced. We would certainly be sad. This that I am speaking about means firstly that the gold is yours through the finished work of the Lamb. It's all yours. But the second thing is that you've got to buy it. And you buy it by costly experience. There's no other way. People cannot reign with Christ who have not suffered. Even the Lamb himself, even the Lord Jesus, learned obedience by the things which he suffered. He was perfected through suffering. Now, if he who was without sin had to be perfected through suffering, how much more we who have been sinners saved by his grace. If he is bringing many sons to glory, then he has to bring them the same way. And dear child of God, is it not your prayer, as it must be my prayer, that God will somehow work the maximum amount of gold refined as by fire in my life, so that somehow or other there may be that material produced in me, that out of which the bride is created, out of which the city is produced and built, that Christ in me may become the hope of glory, Dear ones, God will wipe away all tears. You may have been in the school of discipline. You may have been in the school of limitation. You may have been in the school of brokenness. You may have been in the school of hardship and trial. There may have come into your life many a difficulty, many an inexplicable problem. But dear one, when you stand there before the Lord, it may be, you know, in wonder, it will be to have every tear wiped away from your eyes. It will be worth it. It will be ultimately worth it. 
And what of precious stone? Precious stone is produced in the dark places, the hidden places of the earth. Isaiah 45 speaks about that in these wonderful words, Isaiah 45 and um, verse 3. I will give thee the treasures of darkness and hidden riches of secret places that thou mayest know that it is I, the Lord, who call thee by thy name, even the God of Israel. Precious stone is produced in dark and hidden places by tremendous pressure and fire. Dear ones, it, the city is produced out of precious stone. I say that represents tears. Pressure, fire, in dark places. That represents tears. And the last word is, and the Lord and God himself shall wipe away every tear from their eyes. Stone has to be cut and polished until it is finally made the foundation of that city. I wonder if there's precious stone in your life. <clears throat> it is interesting, going back to that Philippians 3 passage, that it says there about the Apostle Paul, he, Paul, he says this, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable to his death. And many of us would transfer or invert the order. I think we would say this, that I may know him, having been made conformable unto his death, the fellowship of his sufferings, and the power of his resurrection. Because we feel that but to have a Pentecost, you must have a Calvary. But you see, dear ones, you cannot know the fellowship of his sufferings unless you have a very real experience of the power of his resurrection. God would never allow anyone into the tribulation and into the trial and into the deep school of his discipline unless first they know the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of his resurrection. Then you can enter into the fellowship of his sufferings. Then you can know what the Apostle Paul meant in Colossians 1 and verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and fill up on my part that which is lacking of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. Precious stone represents tears. And pearl. I think some of you who are been here for some years will have heard me say this before, but I'll say it again for the sake of any who haven't heard. But you know, a pearl is produced by a bit of a little piece of alien grit, dirt, falling into the softest part of the clam. And then it is as if the whole life and energy of the clam is mobilized to get rid of that alien piece of grit. And it puts, secretes a fluid and puts it round the grit. And then another layer, and then another layer, and then another layer, and then another layer. And lo, a pearl has been produced. The heart of every real pearl is grit. Now, if that doesn't speak of tears, I don't know what does. 
It means that somehow or other, like the Apostle Paul, when he spoke of a messenger of Satan, a thorn in his flesh, Conibert puts it perhaps a little exaggeratedly, translates it as the agony of impalement. The Apostle sought the Lord, get rid of this alien bit of grit that's come into my life. It will destroy my ministry. It will destroy my effectiveness. It will destroy my moving on with thyself. Get rid of it, Lord. And the Lord did not answer that way. For some while, I suppose, the heavens were like brass until the Lord said, my grace is sufficient for thee. That was the mobilization of the nature and life in the Apostle Paul to bring out, as it were, a kind of, well, something that would go round the grip, round the messenger of Satan, round the thorn in the flesh. A little while later, the Apostle Paul again besought the Lord and asked the Lord if he would again remove this that was destroying his ministry and effectiveness. And again, round the grit came another. And the third time, again, another. That was when the apostle wrote the letter. Maybe if he had written later in his life, he could have told us many more occasions when he sought the Lord, but it was a pearl. Now that city's gates are all made of pearl. So dear ones, what a wonderful word this is. And the Lord himself shall wipe away every tear from off all eyes, from off all faces. In other words, it'll be worth it. Because what the word is saying is this, that having come that deep and costly way to the place of fulfillment, to the place by the grace of God of obtaining the, the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus, it's all over. The tears are gone. No more crying, no more mourning, no more pain. Those are former things. They've passed away. They have produced something which is eternal. They were transient. Then it will be worth it. So there is one realm in which there are tears. I wonder, are you allowing God to do this work in your life? Maybe there's someone here who is. And you've got tears. Maybe it is over the goal being produced in your life, just the general discipline of the Lord, if you're going to go on with him. You prayed that you'd be such a blessing, and the Lord seems to have taken you such a funny and difficult way. You asked that you might lead others to Christ, and the Lord seems to be breaking you up. You asked that you might have a deeper prayer life, and the Lord's taken you into darkness. Dear one, do not fear. Tears there may be there, but God is doing his work in your life. Or maybe you have entered through the cross and through the Holy Spirit into the fellowship of his sufferings. That is a travail that is not generally known amongst the people of God. The conception by the Holy Spirit of a burden in us that can only come out in costly pain and experience. That some of you may be in. You may have, therefore, things that have come across your life that are totally inexplicable. But, dear one, it's worth it. Or maybe you have something that we can only describe as absolutely sovereign. You have loved the Lord, and because you have loved the Lord, because you've gone on with the Lord, something's come into your life through the foreordination of God. 
which can only be described as a messenger of Satan and a thorn in the flesh. Do not fear. Tears there may be, but they will be wiped away in the day of fulfillment. It will be worth it to be in the fulfillment and to see that these things, which were, we shall see, a light affliction, but for a moment, worked for us an exceeding and eternal weight of glory. And the only way we can see that now is not to look at the things which are seen or the things which are seen are transient, but to look at the things which are not seen, for those things which are not seen are eternal. Now, there's another realm in which tears may quite rightly be spoken of, and I've often wondered about this. I didn't mean to say it quite like that, but I've often, uh, well, I can't think of another word. I'm still half asleep, as probably most of you are. Um, the thing is that, as, as far as I'm concerned, I've often thought that maybe it is the tears are part of sheer wonder. Now, we sometimes think of tears only in terms of pain. But, you know, when you think back, many of us have wept more at times of relief than ever we have in times of pain. Now, I don't know if you're a bit like me, but when you're in a time of pain, I find my eyes dry. But when I'm in a time of relief, I can weep easily. You know, you, you see something, you can't believe it. It's happened. And before you know where you are, you've got a tear running down your face and you have to wipe it away. You know that kind of wonder? Well, baby, you're not the same temperament as I. But, I mean, <laughs> to me, I have often thought, could it be wonder that makes the Lord sort of go over and hug his children? I say, now, look here. You've got to stop crying. <laughs> I mean, it's so, I know that it's incredible. I know when you look around you and you see the glory, my glory, and you see everything as it ought to be, and you see a new heaven and a new earth wherein there's no more corruption or sin or pain or, or disease. I know you just want to, you want to spend half of eternity crying, but you can't. And he takes out his handkerchief and wipes away the tears from your eyes. I've often thought of that. It's suggested, isn't it? in that wonderful word in Isaiah 35 that we read, I think there we come near to that kind of idea where it says uh, in 35 verse 10, and the ransom of the Lord shall return and come with singing unto Zion and everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. You know, relief is a wonderful thing. Wonder is a tremendous experience, isn't it? I always feel sorry for people who can't wonder, you know, so blase and cynical about everything. You know, everything they see. I remember years ago being on one of those coach tours of Yugoslavia and we were seeing the most incredible view. And this lady, who I can only describe as a broken down nightclub queen, turned around <laughs> to her husband and said, Basil, it reminds you of Venice, doesn't it? And this was inland and miles from any water. 
this kind of blase cynicism where you never get bowled over, you never get excited, you never get enthralled. Well, I've always felt sorry for people uh, like that. Um, there's something wonderful about being bowled over by something, to be just knocked out, as it were. And you find it again and again in the word. We were talking last night of some people just fall down as dead, knocked out. <laughs> knocked stone cold by seeing the fulfillment of the purpose of God in vision. Seeing into the glory of God. I think there'll be many tears then. They'll not all be tears of pain, tears of... But I think there'll be many tears of joy. Maybe you have been hard on yourself, condemned yourself, felt yourself to be unworthy. Well, don't be too fearful. I know that we should know the justification of our Lord more deeply and fully, but even the Apostle Paul was a bit like that. We know that he wrote in one of his early letters that he was the least of all saints. But in his last letter, he said, I'm the chief of all sinners. So even he went that way. And I think that if finally he arrived and saw all that the Lord had accomplished through his life and ministry, he would burst into tears. Sob his heart out. Just to, to realize that letter I wrote to Corinth, part of the Bible, don't forget when the Apostle Paul wrote, there was no additions to the Old Testament. There was only the Old Testament in its threefold Jewish division. And you think that he would, when he finally got there, if he didn't find out himself, some angel told him, or the Lord himself, Paul, they're still reading those letters. <laughs> 2,000 years, Paul. There they are, studying Ephesians. He might say, well, Ephesians, I did realize then that I was really... Seeing something. <laughs> but do you mean to tell me that my little letter about Philemon is in the New Testament? And they're studying it. That's incredible. Or my second letter to comment in which I, I sort of kept on saying things that if I'd known that they were going, it was going to be part of the Bible, I would have scrubbed it all out. Things like, you foolish I'm um, not uh, foolish Galatians, but you have, you have pushed me, you have pushed me into boasting, he says, in one place. Well, since you pushed me into it, I'll boast, he says. I'm sure he would, if they're going to study that, take the blue pencil out, out, out. Or where he says, you know, when you put that young man out because of immorality and uh, so on, you know, I'm glad, but now take him back. And then he said, in another place, you know, I felt that perhaps you thought I was being too severe. And I felt I'd made a mistake in writing to you. I think the blue pencil would have gone all over that letter. But it's in, you know, I think he could have wept when he thought, all that pain I had and those tears, and somehow or other I didn't realize that something of incredible beauty was being produced then I think there will be tears. And I think God, because we're going to be human beings, you know, some people have got the idea that when we get to glory, we're not going to be human beings anymore. We're going to be like machines. You know, it's all those awful automatons you see in these dreadful science fiction things, walking round sort of like this. <laughs> you know, we sort of, the look, a bell rings and we all come with our harps and stop. <laughs> <laughs> No, dear friends, 
We will be human beings. God's plan for you was to be a human being. He made you in his image and he intends to give you a new body, spirit, soul, and body. And if that's the case, we'll be able to cry. And it seems to me that God's going to have to do a lot of wiping away of tears from different faces, from the sheer wonder of what we've come into by his grace. Just to be there, the sense of relief, the sense of wonder that what God did in our lives, which we sort of at times rebelled against and couldn't understand and sort of kicked against somehow or other, it was all for glory. And now we're so thankful that all we can do is cry. Well, that's the second realm of tears. And lastly, there's a third realm, rather more somber. It is a regret. I think tears can come also in this realm of regret. Regret, I don't mean over things that in the past, because in one sense, many of the things in our past life we won't be able to undo, but there will be a regret in this sense about the past that we didn't settle issues. I think that would be very sad to come into the presence of the Lord and to find that having been saved, we never came to the end of the Lord. Saved so as by fire, will that not mean tears? If I were to see the whole of my life's work and ministry go up in flame, fire and smoke, as it says in 1 Corinthians 3, wood, hay, stubble, Yet be saved by his grace, but so as by fire, by the skin of my teeth. I imagine there will be tears. And then, listen, there will be not a word of judgment from the Lord. Not a word of condemnation. He will come, he will put his arms around us and say, Now, stop crying. After all, you're in the kingdom. He will wipe away all those tears that come from regret that we didn't let the Lord do what he wanted to do, that we wouldn't obey the Lord in the way we should have obeyed the Lord, that we refused to go in the way the Lord wanted us to go. Dear one, those kind of tears will also be wiped away. May the Lord help us in these little thoughts on tears in glory. Maybe some of you will have some other ideas or thoughts as you pray about it and think about it. But there are three realms that I imagine tears in glory speak of. And the most beautiful thing of all is that in all three, it is the Lord himself that wipes away every tear from every eye. May God help us greatly. Shall we pray? Father, we bow here in thy presence and we're conscious, Lord, that we need that spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of thyself if we're to gain from what has been said this morning. But we pray that we may. O oh Lord, thou knowest just what is being done in our lives. 
Thou knowest, Lord, where there are areas in which, Lord, we're not allowing thee to work or we will not yield or we will not obey. Help us, Lord, to settle those things that there be no tears of regret. And, Lord, we pray that every one of us may, in that school of thy Son, really, Lord, know something of the loving discipline and training of thy hand in bringing us to glory. So hear us, Lord, as we commit ourselves now to thee in the name of our Lord Jesus. May your life be totally committed to the Lord. May you know the deep, deep love of Jesus. Wow.